Willkommenen guten Tag. Das ist Herausgabe 41 of Podcast, a.k.a. das Tomcast Podcast. Und du, mein kleiner Lieblings, sind official Pophead. Mein Name ist Tom, und so ruck zum Spaß. Das über fantastisch Roger Smith. Er ist exo mega gold auf Twitter und Instagram. Wie geht's, Roger? Um, ja. <laughs> and now back to English. Yeah. Hey, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. I don't know as much German as I'd like, but uh, that sounded pretty cool. <laughs> I'll explain that in a moment. Welcome to the show. Please show your love and support for this awesome podcast by supporting us on social media. Give us a follow at TomCast underscore podcast on Twitter and at the TomCast underscore podcast on Instagram. And if you're so inclined, you can join Pophead Nation over at patreon.com slash TomCastPopCast. Remember, this is the pop culture podcast that knows that sauerkraut is more than just an upset German. It's also pickled cabbage. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so why are we talking all this German today? Because Oktoberfest is in full swing over in Munich, a.k.a. München. And I love Oktoberfest. Roger loves Oktoberfest. We do. Uh, the past few episodes, we've already been enjoying the Festbiers and the Märzens, and uh, that's going to continue today. Uh, but if you want a full-blown Oktoberfest show, you're going to have to tune in next week to Beer Night in San Diego for all of your fest needs. Very nice. And because since this is a pop culture podcast... We are celebrating Oktoberfest a little differently. Instead of celebrating the marriage of Prince Ludwig to Princess Therese, we are going to celebrate the greatest German of all time. That's right. If you think it's Dirk Nowitzki, you're wrong. <laughs> If you think it's the Red Skull, you're dead wrong. Today, we celebrate the liberator of the Asian Dawn, former member of the Volksfreie Movement. That's right. The greatest German in pop culture is also one of the greatest villains in cinema history, Hans Gruber! No. Machine gun. <laughs> From this day forth on Popcast, Oktoberfest will be known as Hans Toberfest. Commence with the shooting of the glass, which on this show means to take a long sip of your tasty beer. Roger, have you done so? Uh, I'm about to. Let's shoot the glass. Cheers. Cheers. Prost. Prost. Shoot the glass. Mmm. Oh, yes. All right, Roger, what are we drink? Excuse me, what are we drinking today? <laughs> we are doing the Carl Strauss Oktoberfest. Hey, San Diego local, but with a name like Strauss, I mean, that gets German, German thumbs up, right? Oh, I think it does. It's a five percenter, very, very to style. One of the best I've had this year. Um, definitely one of my tops. Yeah, the Carl Strauss Oktoberfest is, is always a slam dunk. It's uh, pretty... Pretty typical, uh, the Meritzen style, you know, rich, nutty flavor, full uh, amber, reddish hue color to it. Mm -hmm. Drinks incredibly easy. Yes. Just hint, just a little hint of sweetness. Mm -hmm. Nothing over the top. A lovely, lovely beer. And um, <laughs> I'm glad we're finally getting to open this one on the show. Yeah, yeah. I think we've been doing uh, quite a few of the uh, Fest beers, Oktoberfest selections from whatever breweries we could find, really. But uh, this one has been on my to-do list. Well, this past weekend was the actual kickoff of Oktoberfest in Germany, mm -hmm. and that means uh, we're going to keep that party going on the podcast, which is, means a uh, Hans-toberfest. <laughs> we'll have many episodes coming up. Oh, It'll yes. be quite exciting, especially if you're a fan of the Groove Man. Yes. He doesn't like it when I call him that, <laughs> so we'll probably stop saying that now before he gets upset with me. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned. There'll be all kinds of fun little Hans Gruber things, hopefully. Though we do have a tons of news to get to. Everything hit the hit the internets on Monday and Tuesday. And I was like, yeah. oh shit, I thought we were going to have a slow show. Nope, not no, this week. Not so much. Um, but before we get back to having kind of the, the fun, jovial show that we like to have, yeah. we have to get a little serious first. And that's because this Joker movie <laughs> is getting not great publicity on it right now. Mm. So I got a lot of, uh, of, of ground to cover here. Uh, if anything... I read is questionable to you. Please feel free to interrupt. Sure. But here we go. All right. So the Joker movie isn't even out yet, and the controversy around this movie is continuing to grow. Anti-gun violence groups, particularly in Colorado, have taken note of the film and are concerned with the message and imagery that the film may, may contain. Note that nobody has seen this movie yet. 
Now, granted, Aurora, Colorado is the town where in 2012 an armed shooter began firing into, into a packed movie theater screening of The Dark Knight Rises. So they have an intimate connection to, to gun violence and to the, the Batman franchise, in a, in a sense. Sure. Uh, rumors abound that the, this shooter was inspired by the Joker. Now, in response, director Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix and Warner Brothers itself uh, are assuring anyone who will listen that this movie does not make the Joker a hero or, or a character to be inspired by. Hmm. They ask that people see the movie before they judge it. Still, concern over safety at movie theaters has sparked a message to U.S. military personnel to be alert when attending screenings of the Joker based off of social media posts from, quote, incel extremists, end quote, that want to replicate the Colorado shooting. Now, I had no idea what the hell an incel extremist was, so (laughs) this took a little bit of of looking into. Mm -hmm. Um, Incel means involuntary celibate men, an online community that has rather radical beliefs and supports an ideology of violence. Basically, a group of disaffected white men who can't meet girls. (laughs) Which, I mean, we've all been there, but I think most of us have moved on with our lives and figured it out. Yeah, we, we handled it appropriately and uh, maturely. But I guess the online community is already kind of drifting towards the Joker because apparently a, a disaffected white man who can't meet girls is kind of how the Joker movie is going to start. Sure. Um, and then finally, there were reports that when asked during an interview if he had considered potential consequences of this portrayal of the Joker as an inspiration for violence in the real world, apparently Joaquin Venus became completely gobsmacked by the idea and actually walked out of the interview. Mm. So I, it, there's a lot to unpack yeah. with all the news that's going on here. And um, I guess I'll just ask for your initial thoughts on it, Roger. What do you think? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely been something I've been keeping a close eye on. As excited as I am for the movie, I feel like uh, the media attention towards it has been almost to fear-mongering levels, you know, it's been, it's been insane, like, they're bringing up all this stuff that, you know, I hadn't even considered, really, and, uh, I mean, it's definitely something that needs to be talked about in general, um, I think the, uh, the whole incel movement, as it's called, or whatever, if, if that's who, you know, they think is, it's going to be targeted towards, or, that is going to be the source of this um, possible violence. I mean, then that's kind of like that's that's should be the focus of things as opposed to kind of making it about the movie. You know, it's like crazy people are going to do crazy things. They're going to find inspiration from pretty much anything. You know, we have cases in the past where you know multiple uh, murderers have been found with like Catcher in the Rye on them. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, and you know, but nobody's blaming the book for you know what they're doing. So there's always going to be something to inspire um, crazy people (laughs) to do crazy things, like I said. But I think it's also something that we don't let ourselves live in fear of it. You know, it's um, I think it's a dangerous precedent to live your life in fear of these kind of events. Um, You know, I haven't talked about it on the show before, but uh, about a month back, um, I was shot at. I uh, had my car stolen from me and, uh, you know, it was definitely a life changing experience for me. And it's something that really made me think and, uh, kind of, uh, take a better handle on what I was doing in my life, you know? And, um, it just led me to the conclusion that, you know, you can't live in fear, you know, probably one of the best lines from the original ghostwriter movie. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, as, as serious as a subject as it is, I think it's also important to remember that if we let these kind of things control our life, if we live in fear of these possible outcomes, then these bad guys win, you know, it's, it's something where we do need to be careful and there's always that possibility. But I, I just feel like the the direction of you know the media portrayal on this is almost to the point where they're expecting this to happen now, you know, and it's it's scary. It's it's making a lot of people scared. So there's there's a heavy responsibility on a lot of parties here that I feel is uh, very difficult to kind of uh, justify and uh, you know who who's. Who's going to be to blame if anything does go wrong, you know? I think there's going to be a lot of finger pointing, and I think it's going to retract or detract from the 
real issue is that we do have a lot of things going, you know, wrong in the country right now, and we need to look at the source of it, you know, as opposed to finger pointing. So yeah, that's where I stand on it. Yeah, I was. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with everybody too, Roger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you. When I was reading the story, I mean, I was definitely interested in your point of view mm-hmm. as as someone who's experienced being under fire. Yeah. Um, that's not something I can 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 even imagine. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when I heard that happen to you, it, I was completely blown away by it. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I wonder, I wonder what Roger thinks, because your perspective would be very unique. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very cool that you were that you decided to share that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's it's you know we're in a very finger pointy culture. Yeah. Um, where it's like this is the cause, this is the cause. It's like no, that person mm-hmm. is the cause. Yeah. You know, they just. <laughs> it's it's hard to you know I, I I guess I just have a hard time trying to blame mm-hmm. a video game or a movie or yeah. a book or whatever sure. for the actions of a, of an individual. Yeah, these people are. It sounds like these people are already unhinged online. Exactly. And it, like this movie just seems to be some kind of way for them to to justify their actions almost in a, in, a, in a sense. And it's like it's just one of those things, man. And people shouldn't be scared to have to go to the movies if they want to go yeah. see a movie. They want to have a good time. You're, you're in a movie to escape reality, mm-hmm. to to experience something. That is supposed to be disconnected from your life. Exactly. And, and now, I mean, I, there there's gonna be people that won't go. Sure. Yeah. And, and I can't say I blame them. Yeah, I understand entirely. But you know, and, and I'm assuming that the, when it's released next weekend, because we're we're still a little over a week away from the movie even coming out. Yeah. I imagine there'll be a much, at least to to, in cities and locations that are cognizant of what's going on, there'll probably mm-hmm. be more of a, a police presence, which is. Not something you normally see at the movies as well. True, yeah. That's definitely something to uh, take into account. But no, I, I definitely agree. It, it comes down to, you know, putting the responsibility of the actions to the person who commits them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a problem that we have just, you know, just societally. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's so much easier to paint someone out to be a monster than to just, you know, realize that they are responsible. They made a choice. And, you know, we need to own up to that. So, Well, and it definitely seems to be, um, in more cases than not, mm-hmm. the, these mass shootings have been perpetuated by unhappy mm-hmm. white males. Mm-hmm. What the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a white male. Yeah. I, I've been unhappy before. I've never thought about doing things like this. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, it it just kind of goes back to, you know, 99.99% of people handle this appropriately. You know, this, this wasn't like, you know, a a widespread thing, Um, you know, and for the, in the example of, you know, the Dark Knight incident, you know, that was one movie theater, one guy everywhere. Like it didn't happen anywhere else. It was literally just one guy, but all it takes is that one guy, you know. Yeah. So and, and you know, again, I don't know much about the the history and the origins of this incel movement that's mm-hmm. happened online, um, but it sounds like a very again a very much of a finger pointy kind of thing. Like I'm <clears throat> involuntarily yeah. celibate because, you know, because women's fault, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's not the way you want to do things either. Yeah. You you know, when something like that's going on in your life, you need to examine your life, and exactly. see what's going on. Like you know. What's what's happening with you? How are you processing? Maybe there's psychology is complicated. Yes, I, I, I can't even begin to get into it. Mm-hmm. But you know, instead of pointing blame out, sometimes you got to look at put hold up that mirror to your face. Yeah, interesting. And, and look into yourself and and start to you know puzzle it out and and you know reach out for help. Yeah. please, please reach out for help. I mean. Again, we're not smart people, especially me. <laughs> Roger's definitely smarter than I am. But, th- but there, there's outlets out there. There, there are avenues to, to try and seek uh, help. And, uh, you know, if you know if, if one avenue rebuffs you, look for the next one. Yeah. Don't, don't just give up and think that violence is going to be how I express my rage at the yeah. world. Uh, it's terrible. I, I, hope, I hope this is all just... Internet rage and mm-hmm. it never comes to comes to fruition, never comes to life, and, we, and the movie opens and, and everything's fine everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, I want to believe. 
like you said, that something happens and the movie's going to get blamed. Mm-hmm. And that it will be forever linked to those events. Yeah. And it makes it hard to view a movie objectively from that point. That's true. And, you know, I want to be able to look at this movie and be like, I didn't like it because the Joker was dumb in it. Or yeah. <laughs> I really like this movie because it ha- it is a good take on the character. I, You know, yeah. when I was voicing my concerns <clears throat> with the film, none of them had anything to do with potential real-life violence. Ram- yeah. I'm sorry, real-life ramifications of potential violence. Yeah, this isn't something that we actively thought about. No, it's more like, is it true to the character? Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're just so used to having this, you know, this character is part of, you know, what we know, part of our lives, you know, and... For it to get warped and manipulated into this, you know, just vile thing, is, it kind of hurts us, you know, because this is a character that's near and dear to all of us. Now, when apparently he's a character who, I, and I, I had no idea that he was resonating with, with people, uh, with, you know, in, in this online community in particular, but I, mm-hmm. I guess the Joker is uh, more entwined in society than I gave him credit for. Uh, possibly. I don't know. It's, this, uh, it's, it's so much of this story is completely strange and foreign to me. Yeah. And and all I can say is, white men, can you please get it together <laughs> for the sake of my my going to the movies in safety, please. <sighs> I think that's all I have to say about this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we don't need to dwell on it. I think it's you're going to see it enough if you're even following any social media. So. Well, I sure as hell don't want to have to report on some, yeah. you know, acts of violence or multiple acts of violence across the country. We sure don't want to talk about that on the show. Yeah, so let's um, just hope for the best and, you know, move along. Yeah, like I said, let's just hope it's it's internet chatter and it doesn't go any further than that. Yep. All right. Okay, now... <laughs> deep, <laughs> like breaths, deep breath. Deep cleansing breaths. <sighs> okay, that was serious. That's not what this show does best. <laughs> so I'm very sorry... <laughs> That we made you listen to us be serious for a little while, but I wanted to, I wanted to thank him again, uh, Roger, for sharing uh, his very recent experience mm. with, with gun violence. And yeah. um, of course, give Roger a shout out when you get a chance because uh, <laughs> we're 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 really glad he's still here with us doing yeah. doing the show and kicking ass. Yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> Watching some Titans. He's rocking his Nightwing shirt. Oh yeah, happy. he basically is Nightwing. I mean, you guys have something in common now. Well, there you go. <laughs> I hope that wasn't in poor taste. It's fine. <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> All right. Well, the happy news. Let's talk some happy news. I'm down for happy things. Yeah. Director Colin Trevorrow has announced that Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, and Sam Neill will return for the third installment of Jurassic World. Cue dinosaur noise. Cue dinosaur noise. Make one for me, Roger. Um, That's not a noise. That was <laughs> fail. Epic fail. I was put on the spot. <laughs> Under pressure. Just do the, the the ones that killed uh, Newman on Seinfeld. You're like, yeah, that was good. This movie's not coming out till uh, June 11th, 2021, but how excited are you for the original cast to be back in place? I think it's going to be cool to see him in there. I was actually, uh, when they first announced Jeff Goldblum was going to be in uh, the last one, Fallen Kingdom, I was pretty excited for that. And uh, it turned out to be just a glorified cameo. Yeah, I really did. I was disappointed. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to see how he bounces off the other characters that, you know, the Sirius has introduced. But no, we just get Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum in front of a courtroom. <laughs> and we're just like, oh, well, that kind of sucks. So I'm definitely, as long as it's not another glorified cameo by all of them, if they play some sort of pivotal role in it, I would be pretty happy. It'd be cool to see how the characters have kind of developed because obviously in the last one we see that, you know, Ian Malcolm is somebody that people address for these kind of issues. You know, he's somebody that people go to because he's the only one that's had this kind of experience with dinosaurs and that kind of philosophical background, whole chaos theory and all that. So, uh, it'll be cool to see how Dr. Grant and, uh, uh, Dr. What is it? Sadler? Sadler. Yeah. 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 Um, how they both, have evolved in their characters since Jurassic Park 3. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, and uh, I hope they go uh, the opposite route of Star Wars and that they actually get all three characters in the same scene together with each other. That'd yeah, be nice. that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm on the record of saying I didn't much care for the last Jurassic World flick, Yeah, though I did really enjoy the first one. Mm. Uh, so I hope they're able to rebound yeah. and uh, maybe having the old cast interact with the new cast will mm-hmm. 
uh, provide some fun interactions. Yeah. As they interact with one another. (laughs) Interact. Interactables. I like it. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think, you know, we can be optimistic about it. I think it can only go up because yeah, I agree. The last one wasn't great. It kind of jumped off the deep end with a few of the themes, but yeah, we'll see where they really did. And then a lot of the stuff in that movie was just really half baked. Yeah, yeah, they just did not develop very much of it. They're like, well, we are we have this idea. It's kind of cool. Yeah, a lot of ideas, not a lot of follow-through. No, so we'll see where they go from here. But I still like dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point I'll watch it, you know, whether yeah. whether it ends up being in theaters or not, I guess I don't know yet. Yeah, that's true. Because I was, I was, I was kind of keyed up to see the last one in theaters, and then I started getting word of mouth from people, and they're like, don't bother. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it was kind of just, it was weird. <laughs> like, it was just a bunch of... I didn't know what what was even going on towards like the end of the movie. I'm like, all right, why are we here again? <laughs> I feel you on that. I had I, th- I think I had a very similar viewing experience as you did. Yeah, so we'll see. All right, Hans Toberfest continues with our next news story. News from the Arrowverse of a rumored spinoff uh, from the actual Arrow show, centering on the character of Mia Smoke and the two future Black Canaries, future. Black Canaries of the Future, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an older version of Dinah and Laurel. Yeah. So I don't know if you watched last season, but the 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 B story was in the future. Oh yeah, and they were it, like flash forwards. Yeah, they, they were doing, doing flash forwards. Thing. So you have like uh, <laughs> Ollie and, and and Felicity's daughter, mm-hmm. and she ends up kind of teaming up with old survivors of the of the Arrowverse, basically. Yeah. Uh, the rumor is that there's gonna be a backdoor pilot uh, that will air during the final season of Arrow, which uh, mm-hmm. launches in October. No one knows for sure if that'll get picked up. It's apparently yeah. just, an, just an idea. That I get the, these backdoor pilots are actually pretty common, mm-hmm. Spe- specifically on CW shows. It seems like they're pretty good at it. Sure. They did the same thing with The Flash. And, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm not terribly surprised that they're trying to, trying to find a way to keep Arrow going in some form or fashion. Yeah. One of the things I actually liked about last season was the Flash Forward storyline. I mm-hmm. thought it was... It got a little silly, but it was one of the more interesting aspects of a season that was all over the place. <laughs> Just weren't many highs, but there were a lot like lows, and then oh, it's no, it's lower now. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I, I guess cautious optimism is my take on it. Yeah, I mean, they kind of lost the opportunity to call it birds of prey. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I don't think that was going to happen. No, so probably not. But uh, I mean, it would have been the most obvious choice if there weren't a movie happening. Um, well, and I think this this show definitely has a that Birds of Prey vibe to it. If it mm-hmm. if it is those three characters and plus others, because the show is being described as female centric, so mm-hmm. more uh, female bird characters could possibly make their appearance <laughs> in this show. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I I, I guess it, it's kind of cool that they're trying to keep the story going, but. I mean, to me, it was just like Arrow was Ollie, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, it was cool to see his character progress, even though there were some dumb things that happened a lot of the time. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, the, uh, let's see. So, both the Black Canaries, the actresses that play them, I actually like both of them more or less. Um, I think I like the newer Black Canary more than the original. Uh, yeah, I was never original. big on the Dinah. I'm sorry. I did like Dinah. I didn't yeah. like the Laurel version Laurel. so much. I thought she was a drastic departure from the comic book character. Yeah, that doesn't always mean bad things, but in this case, I I think it did. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I can't can't really say if maybe it was just they wrote her that way or something. But yeah, it just definitely it didn't feel like you know Black well, Canary from the comics. And what's potentially odd about this is that uh, you know if they unless something happens in. Oh, wait, that's probably exactly what happens. I was just thinking <laughs> that this would be an odd show because, I mean, the show was set in the future, uh-huh. and it was an older version of Dinah and Laurel, mm-hmm. which means that if they're doing the show in the future, they, these actresses would be wearing old, makeup to make them look, you know, yeah, 20-ish years older, mm-hmm. which is what they did last season okay. in, 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 like, that that B storyline. Yeah, the future. But it's very possible that after they, by the end of crisis Mia's in our timeline in the present possibly mm, that's true and then yeah. they, then you get the two actresses and they don't have to wear all, all the old old lady makeup or, I don't know or they get bumped to the future who knows <laughs> or they get bumped to the future yeah maybe there's multiple versions of them I mean yeah. 
It could be anything at this point. With, with Crisis looming, literally everything is, you know, up for grabs. It seems like a very DC-esque thing, though. Actually, it seems actually <laughs> it seems a tad more Marvel than DC for the for a character to come back from the future to exist in the past for a long time. That, but mm. both companies like to play with time travel in that in that sense. So this who knows what true. could happen? Yeah, I mean, it's already happened on the Flash, so it's not you know completely unheard of. Yeah, it is. It is kind of funny how these shows have been on so long now that the the, the characters' children are messing around with things. <laughs> Good nice. grief. Uh, our next story is also from the Arrowverse. I don't know if you got to see this, um, but recently uh, Michael Rosenbaum, the, the actor from Smallville who played Lex Luthor, uh, he took to Twitter to explain why he decided not to reprise his version of Lex Luthor for the Crisis on Infinite Earths miniseries. Mm-hmm. He, and he wrote this, quote, I'll just be straight up about this. WB called my agents Friday afternoon when I was in Florida visiting my grandfather in a nursing home. Their offer, no script. No idea what I'm doing. No idea what I'm shooting. Basically no money. And the real kick in the ass. We have to know now. My simple <laughs> answer was pass. I think you can understand why. End of tweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, I guess. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm no actor, so I, I really have no uh, basis for this. But it kind of seems like... Really? That's like... It makes it sound like he's just doing it for the money. You know? And <laughs> I did it, think it was weird that he chose, he chose to include the money aspect. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm like, you could have just said that, like, they gave me nothing to work with, and, you know, who would agree to something they know nothing about? But, like, the fact that he, like, specifically includes, yeah, and this basically weren't even going to pay me anything. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. That's something. I yeah. I, I I understand where he's coming from. Uh, you know, it, it, as an actor, it's probably, especially, I guess, depending on what, what kind of actor you are, what kind of training you, you sure. have, maybe it is frustrating not to know exactly what you're going to do, what what exactly your involvement is with things. Um, but, I mean, Rosenbaum's past, with, with even when, when Smallville was still on, I mean, it was kind of, I don't know if contentious is the right word, but, I mean, I guess they tried to get him to come back multiple times mm. over the 10 years that show was on, and I think he left around season five. Oh, okay. And they spent a lot of time and effort trying to get him to come back every year. And he was just like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> he just wasn't that into it, I guess. I, I, you know, like, whatever. I mean, maybe, maybe it wasn't much fun to do that show. Who knows? Yeah, I guess. Um, it's kind of disappointing. But, but, it, but it is kind of unfortunate that, that it was, at least according to him, it was mm-hmm. phrased as more or less an ultimatum. Like, you have to tell us now. You know, yeah. whatever you have going on in your life, we don't care. <laughs> but I mean, from the sound of it, he didn't have very much going on. Well, so. It sounds like his father, grandfather was sick. So I mean, maybe uh, that maybe that's a bigger deal than uh, than the tweet lets on. <laughs> that's that's true. It's there could be more underlying there, which yeah. which is totally understandable. It's just, I mean, yeah, like I said, it's disappointing. Uh, I mean, everyone else jumped on it. It seems like yeah. in the same circumstance, but he didn't. So it's kind of like okay. That's that's fine, but personally, I, I want to see the next tweet that he sends out when, he, when he's like, and then when they hit me up about being the animated Flash in Crisis on Infinite Earths, I said yes. Uh, dude, that would be <laughs> hilarious. Or if this is just all a ruse and he's actually going to be there, because I loved his Flash on Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. I yeah, had, they had a good time with that character, and it, that was a hard character to to get right in in that show because the Flash in a lot of senses, on that animated Justice League cartoon, mm-hmm. was kind of powered down to a certain yeah. extent. I mean, it kind of had to be. But then they finally, they, they let him cut loose mm-hmm. in, in, <laughs> in, in, in the big finale against, against Lex Luthor, I believe. And uh, it's pretty awesome if you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, uh, let's pause for a cause, and we're going to come back and... Uh, we're gonna come back at come back to Hans Toberfest and Roger's gonna take over for a little bit because Roger has some stuff to share. I do indeed. Alright, we'll be right back. Hans Toberfest! The following people are to be released from their captors. In Northern Ireland, the seven members of the new Provo Front. In Canada, the five imprisoned leaders of Liberté de Quebec. In Sri Lanka, the nine members of the Asian Dawn. What the fuck? I read about them in Time magazine. Make it so. Nice suit. John Phillips, London. I have two myself. Rumor has it Arafat buys his there. Hey, welcome back to Hans Toberfest! Hans. <laughs> Booby. All right, Roger, you're my booby. Why, yeah. why don't you take over and uh, tell, us, tell us what you want to share today? 
So, I had a couple things on the agenda. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Roger's going to spout off about <laughs> me and how much he dislikes the format of this show. I mean, not on this podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> Roger goes on other podcasts to complain about this one. <laughs> this Tom guy, you know. He's a real <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> no, but... um, <laughs> Motherfucker. Uh, it was too good. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so, on the last podcast, if you guys were paying attention... My top five. I wasn't. Refresh my memory. What happened? <laughs> my top five uh, hero choice was Nightwing because we had not yet seen him in a live action role. Hashtag bias. I mean, you're wearing <laughs> the guy's shirt, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could have put him further up, but I already <laughs> felt like it might have been kind of cheating. And it turns out it was kind of cheating. <laughs> Wait, yeah, I mean, you had mentioned that, yeah, it's probably coming soon. Yeah, little did we know. <laughs> there about were, a day uh, and a half later. <laughs> yeah, literally about a day and a half later or less, uh, there was some set photos leaked of Brenton Thwaites, uh, oh, a.k.a. Thwaites. Dick Grayson, as Nightwing in his full Nightwing outfit. Now, the photos are blurry. Obviously, you're not going to get any sharp detail, but the outfit does look pretty good, and... Uh, Let's just say he does so Dick Grayson. Fates. What? <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. I mean, they're from the back, and he's doing Nightwing <sighs> Justice. <laughs> Begin his squat game on. Yeah, he's he's got to. That's that's <laughs> that is the Nightwing uh, thing to have. But uh, yeah, so it looks like uh, you know, small spoiler for the last episode of Titans. Very small, minute spoiler. Uh, there was a scene where he's uh, practicing uh, with his, you know. Bo staff, it's uh you know they're just practicing in in the uh, Titan Tower or whatever. Does Donatello the Ninja Turtle show up to fight him <laughs> with his bow staff? Actually, Ravager. But, uh, <laughs> oh, hey, Ravager. Yeah, so she's there. They're practicing, and you know she's got the katana, and he's got the wooden bow staff. So what do you know that happens halfway through the fight? She cuts it down the middle. What does he do? Pulls out the Kali stance and just <laughs> starts going crazy with the Eskrima sticks. Night winging it. Yeah. So I, I saw that and uh, I lost my shit. I was quite happy. I'm like, this is the moment where he becomes Nightwing. And of course, nothing happened. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, after seeing these set photos, you know, I sent them to, sent them to a few uh, fellow Nightwing fans and uh, yeah, we were all mutually losing our shit. And uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's first of all, let's be right up front here. Yeah, I think everyone's stoked that we're just skipping the giant <laughs> butterfly collar era Nightwing costume. You're not into that disco '70s look <laughs> with, with the like, mullet, like the mega deep V down the oh, chest. Dude. Woo. Oh, dude! Oh, baby! The the baby blues on yellows. Oh, <laughs> I mean, the the ladies might like it, but I thought it was a bit ostentatious. Uh, just a little bit, a little bit. But uh, yeah, this yeah. is like the classic. I think I think Scott McDaniel's is responsible for the design of the, of the costume that mm-hmm. is pretty much ingrained in everyone what yeah. what it, look, it looks like. Yeah, the the blue on black. Yeah. Big old V in the middle. Yeah. But um it looks like uh just from the set photos that have been leaked so far, it looks like the outfit's going to be very similar to the uh Arkham City version of Nightwing. Mm-hmm. So, that's going to be pretty cool cuz that outfit looked, you know, realistic in the sense of where it looked kind of like hard padded, but it also looked very mobile and, you know, Nightwing needs to be agile because he's the acrobat. So I'm pretty excited about that, and uh, I'm going to maintain my number five as still valid because it was valid at the time. You were like uh, prescient, and like, you were just <laughs> plugged into the future. Yeah, apparently. So that week I was uh, very plugged into the future, apparently, because I also spoke about the uh, Lincoln March uh, as my number one villain, I believe, uh, the Talon from Court of the Owls. And I made reference that there had been rumors of a Court of the Owls Arkham series video game that was being worked on. Now, this, we hadn't heard anything. It was just like very faint details here and there, though we hadn't seen anything, heard anything in a long time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people assumed that the project was just kind of, you know, under wraps for a while. And then on Batman Day... WB Montreal Studios, the developers of the Arkham Origins video game, actually uh, posted, uh, they posted a tweet on Twitter, as it were, and uh, they posted a, a short video 
<clears throat> saying uh, something like, you know, we're here celebrating 80th anniversary like everyone else, shows a picture of the bat symbol, you know, how they had uh, live bat signals uh, mm-hmm. in various places. Um, they had a picture of a uh, bat signal on a side of a building. And throughout the video, there's like split second glitches where they just flash certain symbols. And uh, people, you know, obviously paused it, took out the images. And there are four circular symbols that don't have any immediate um, resemblance to anything um, that we've seen before. Uh, there's, you know, faint resemblances here and there. There's one that looks kind of like a demon face, which people were like, oh, is this like a reference to League of Assassins or something, Ra's al Ghul? And then other ones that look faintly similar to the facial structure of the Talon mask. Mm. So people are thinking this could be the Court of the Owls game that they're teasing here because that is the studio, like I said, that worked on Arkham Origins that was rumored to be the same ones working on the next Arkham game. And then, as if to justify that tweet, uh, Scott Snyder, writer of the uh, New 52 Batman series, um, retweets hashtag beware the court of the owls in with that in response and shortly thereafter he deletes the tweet (laughs) so it's like that's kind of a kind of a sign when you put something like that out there and you make it disappear very quickly (laughs) the internet does not forget however no (laughs) so that was quickly saved archived and posted everywhere and it looks like we're probably going to be getting a new Arkham City Night series game. That's very cool. Based on the Court of the Owls. Nice. So I was definitely in the future last week. I don't know what <laughs> you happened. You were tuned to something. Booster Gold came from the future and told me what was going to happen. I had to make it look, you know, not so obvious. So that's what went down. Your your uh, molecular frequencies were in tune with the uh, time stream. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, dude. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it. I'm pretty stoked too, but I think I'm more stoked about the the new hashtag I think I inadvertently created for this show. What's that? Hashtag Nightwinging it. Because <laughs> that's what we're doing on this podcast, baby. Nightwinging it. I like it. I like <laughs> it. And if I'm ever uh, on beer night, I'll be beer nightwing. <laughs> I think we can make that happen. All right. <laughs> all right. That's what you got. That's good. We're good. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's that's all I wanted to get out in terms of that. So uh, right. let us know how you feel about it. Oof, baby. I got I got a, I got a little bit more news. Nice. Let's uh, let's let's turn our attention to Star Wars. Are you familiar with Star Wars? Have you seen it? But a little small independent picture. Yeah, yeah. I've I've watched it once or twice. Yeah, yeah. Catch it on the IFC channel, I think. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. classic. So, in Star Wars news, when speaking with Entertainment Tonight while at the Emmy Awards, actor Giancarlo Esposito said of his character in The Mandalorian, quote, I play a guy who was a warden of the universe. He was in power before the Empire collapsed. You don't know if he's good or bad, but he certainly is a guy who has order in his life. He's an exciting guy because he has all of the equipment and spaceships at his ready. Hmm. End quote. (laughs) This just adds to the fact that I'm going to make sure I watch the show on the 12th of November. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah, I think without a doubt. That's really good to hear. I don't know what any of this really means. Warden of the universe. What the fuck? That, I don't think that's been established ever. <laughs> I was hoping you'd enlighten me. I was like, oh, I got, I was like, oh what character is that? Like, who, who's that going to be? Warden of the universe. It sounds like someone from the Green Lanterns. Yeah, either that or He-Man. Or He-Man, yeah. I mean, there's masters and wardens of the universe, and they fight each other. That would be a cool storyline. No, I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, you've you've seen Giancarlo's character mm-hmm. in the trailer. Uh, he is an actor that uh, I am a. I love him as an actor. I think he is mm-hmm. fantastic. His his work on Breaking Bad in particular, yeah. and and Better Call Saul recently, mm-hmm. has been stellar, top notch stuff. This guy just chews the scenery, just takes it over. Like you, he commands presence. Yeah. And uh, so having him on the show, whether he's good or bad or, in, you know, one of those characters in between, this is a show that I think will exist in the gray. Yeah. I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of black and white on this show. Which um, is pretty cool. I like and that. And I think he's the perfect kind of actor to be a character who can, on the, tip, on, the, on the turn of a dime, be good or bad. Sure. To whatever serves his purposes the most. 
Yeah. So we're looking forward to Giancarlo Esposito on The Mandalorian. And as I was typing up the notes, I wrote Giancarlo Stanton at least three times for anyone who follows <laughs> baseball. So sorry, <laughs> Giancarlo. I didn't, I didn't mean to get the Giancarlos mixed up. Yeah. There's only so many Giancarlos that I'm aware of, though. That's true. It's a great name, though. I just love saying Giancarlo. Yeah, it's very nice. It's fun. It's fun. More Star Wars news, though, Roger. Yet more. This is interesting because I have started to sort of outline a Star Wars chat for us to have on the show soon. Shouldn't invite Mike for that one. Well, we should, but Mike's busy. He's a busy (laughs) fuckface. And um, he knows what that reference is, too. (laughs) Love you, Mike. (laughs) Um, You know, he's got kids and wives and... And I said wives. He has more than one. Uh oh! Don't let that one get out. <laughs> <laughs> I want Mike to do the show. I hope to have Mike on the show. Probably, maybe, hopefully in December when when I'm out of school and the new Star Wars is out, we can all sit down and that'll be perfect and review the new flick. Yes. But you and I are gonna have to cover a lot of ground to catch up the old flick, the the, the previous yes. JJ flicks. <clears throat> all right. So in in a new book by former Disney CEO Bob Iger, titled Ride of a Lifetime. Iger says that George Lucas, quote, didn't hide his disappointment, end quote, over The Force, Awakening, over the Force Awakens, saying there was, quote, nothing new, end quote, about Abrams' sequel. Hmm. He goes on to say, uh, in an interview that's apparently cited by CNET.com, uh, in each of the films in the original trilogy, it was important to Lucas to present new worlds, new stories, new characters, and new technologies. In this one, he said... There weren't enough visual or technological leaps forward, hmm. Iger said via CNET. Uh, Iger would go on to counter Lucas by saying that, quote, he wasn't wrong, but he also wasn't appreciating the pressure we were under to give ardent fans a film that felt quintessentially Star Wars. Yeah. We'd intentionally created a world that was visually and tonally connected to the earlier films to not stray too far from what people loved and expected. And George was criticizing us for the very thing we were trying to do. Hmm. End quote. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the the, the man himself, the, the creator of Star Wars, th- there had been... It had kind of gotten around that he wasn't stoked on, on the new series. I mean, he had... I guess when he had sold uh, Lucasfilm to Disney, mm-hmm. uh, he had provided... Uh, ample story notes for where he had planned to take the trilogy if he did want to continue it. Yeah, I think he had like rough drafts for scripts. And yeah, and like then those were, those, those were basically, uh, if if not put into a uh, drawer <laughs> or a, perhaps a safe and thrown into the ocean, they were at least <laughs> immediately tossed into the shredder. Yeah. Because uh, uh, they had no intention of following any of them. Nope. And for better or worse, uh, Abrams has, has gone on to do his own thing with, with Star Wars. And like I said, for better or for worse, there's, there's parts of the, 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 these two films uh, in the, of the new trilogy that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. And there's parts that I don't really care for. Sure. Um, but it was interesting to kind of hear from Lucas, who doesn't come out very often and, and no. say t- too much, especially too, too much negative. And I think he's probably <laughs> going to be a little surprised when, when these things come out, because I think he probably said <laughs> these to Iger in confidence probably. that it was going to stay in-house and not be part of his memoir that he was going to put out. Yeah, I mean, definitely. If that's if that's true, if that's the case, that kind of sucks. But uh, I, I also think it's kind of funny <laughs> the line in there where he's like, he didn't appreciate the pressure we were under. I'm like, George Lucas didn't know the pressure of making sequels. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be fair, I mean Disney Disney paid what four billion dollars for Lucasfilm. Oh sure. Yeah. So they, they needed a product that was going to make some money back, like ASAP. Yeah. And I mean, so they they got. They got The Force Awakens, which is, I mean, listen, pound for pound, I enjoy that movie more than I dislike that movie. Yeah. And it, but I I can't lie. I mean, the movie's total fan service. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of what all the fans wanted to see Mm -hmm. with the exception of all three characters in the scene together at one time. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been what we needed. (laughs) But that's, that's for another episode of the podcast where (laughs) where we, we can really dive into those sort of things. Sure. Um, so I, I definitely see both sides of the argument. Um, it's what's interesting to me lately in the world of Star Wars, and in, in relation to George Lucas, has been kind of this um, this movement to forgive and forget 
with George Lucas, you know, remember when, when the prequels were coming out, he was getting dragged over the coals, yeah, relentlessly, mercilessly, <laughs> brutally. Very much. In, so. in some cases, the the criticisms were were completely fair. We're looking at you, Attack of the Clones. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> kind of like what Iger says in in his piece about how, you know, uh, Lucas wanted to do new worlds, new stories, new characters, new technologies. Mm-hmm. He does all that in the prequels. You know, not as successfully as he did in the first trilogy, obviously. Sure. But uh, it seems like now the people, especially the people who are upset with the Abrams trilogy, are are looking back to Lucas now for uh, some kind of healing <laughs> from <laughs> from the from the from the man who created Star Wars. They're like, yeah. please forgive us. We want to to sit from your altar once again. <laughs> your font of knowledge true. must be turned back on. Yeah, that's totally true. So it, it's it's kind of crazy to me. It um, Star Wars is you know it's Star Wars is Star Wars. It, yeah. it is the definition of the pop culture that we we know and love, and that we, that you know one of the reasons why we want to do podcasts like this and talk about the stuff that we love so much. Yeah. Star Wars is a huge part of that for all of us. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, even even you know you were you were born well after Star Wars was, was done. Yeah, tell me that's not ingrained in you. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with it in a way, you know. For some reason, it was still relevant. Yeah. And it remained relevant until now, you know. So it, it's crazy to think, you know. Like, I I just remember growing up as a kid having Star Wars toys, you know, always watching the movies. My friends watched Star Wars. You know, they all had the toys. We'd play with the little action figures together. And I'm like, this is a movie that had come out before any of us were born. And like, well, meant, uh, <laughs> any of my friends, I'm saying, okay, at the okay. time, and uh, I'm just like, and you know, I look back at it, I'm like, that wouldn't happen today, you know, like things are it's up so and fast, gone, you yeah. know, and you know that movie was literally at the time, you know, I must have been like ten, nine, ten years old, so at that point, it would have been like what twenty, twenty five years. Yeah, I was, I was just kind of thinking about the way that about the timeline in in my head, and and you know, you were born at a, a at a fortunate time in, in a Star Wars fan's life, yeah. um, you know, because you know you were still, I don't, you weren't, you might have been ten when the prequel came out, yeah, episode but, one, but even before that, I mean, you were you were still young enough that you probably could have gone and seen the special editions of. And New it, Hope and Empire and Return of the Jedi when those came out in the theaters and yeah. in the like what was that around like 96, 97 I think yeah yeah mid nineties roughly mid nineties for sure yeah, yeah. you're right mid nineties and um, that's a, that was kind of like the kickoff of, of Star Wars being Revolving. really relevant yeah. in, in in society and in culture once again because when I was a kid mm-hmm. after Jedi came out in like eighty three kind of by 84, mm-hmm. 80, 85, I mean it was just like it was something that 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 kids still talked about because we still loved it. Mm-hmm. But unless it, unless one of them was being re-released in the theaters, or you know the occasional uh, home viewing on like ABC at, on, on Sunday night or whatever, sure. <laughs> like, it, it wasn't on. I mean, there wasn't no. Star Wars talk. There weren't there weren't books. There weren't games to play or cart. Well, there were games. There was a role playing game, sure, which I was too young to even know existed. <laughs> uh, there was like Marvel kept the comic book alive for a little while. Yeah, but I mean Star Wars, especially but by '89 when you when you were born. There wasn't anything Star Wars going on. No, it was just a handful of of, of kids and fans trying to keep it alive via like like fanzines yeah. and stuff like that. And then, you know, in the nineties, uh, uh, Lucas came out and said, "Hey, we're, we're going to do some books." Yeah, and that got people fucking fired up. <laughs> yeah, and then the event, you know, the popularity yeah. of the books, you know, showing people that like, hey, Star Wars is still something people get excited about. Yeah, and the next thing you know, special editions coming out, and that special edition trailer was like one of the most exciting things I saw. In like whatever it was ninety six or ninety seven, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I mean, we, I'm used to seeing, I was used to seeing Star Wars on like you know twenty inch TV screens or whatever. Yeah. Like that. I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to go see this in the movie theaters. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was, it was an awesome time to be a Star Wars fan. And you know, like, <clears throat> like you were saying at that time, there was no Star Wars stuff, and yet I just remember as a kid always knowing everything about Star Wars. Yeah. Like, somehow I just knew, oh, yeah, this character does this, this character is from this planet, oh, this this race is this, you know. And I'm just like, <clears throat> how would you even know that if the movie hadn't been, quote-unquote, relevant for years? Yeah. You know, so it, it was a strange thing, but definitely transcends time and space. Yeah. <laughs> My Star Wars knowledge isn't, isn't as great as it used to be, but it's still strong. Still strong, and I, I and we are going to get that challenge going that you that you threw down for Mike. That will happen <laughs> soon. 
I just need to get you guys both in the same room. Yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, brush up on my uh, original trilogy. Oh, I mean, Mike said he'd do it. Yeah. We just got to get you guys together. We'll, we'll, we will definitely figure that out. I'm down. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. But it, it, like I said, it's... Lucas, like I said, Lucas probably isn't happy this is out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that's something that he wanted out there. I no, mean, especially because he's never been public about, you know, to that extent of how he felt, you know? Yeah, no, I, I definitely, definitely agree. Uh, Roger, I forgot. We, we, we'd moved on uh, beer-wise. What, what do we got right now, my friend? Yes, yeah, so we came back from the break with some more Oktoberfest beer. Hey, now. It I is. think you mean... Hans-toberfest beer. Ah, uh, yes, I was mistaken. Forgive <laughs> me. It is the Ennegrin Oktoberfest Bavarian-style Marsen. Now, this sucker is 0.5% higher than the last one. They mean business. Ooh la la. 5.5%. Once again, great style. This one is on point. Um, yeah, yeah, this one's definitely up there for me, too. Yeah, I've really been enjoying uh, Anagrin beers. Uh, they're up in, I think, Moore Park, just north of the Los Angeles area. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I the, the first couple times I had their beers, I was like, oh, they're good. You know, they're enjoyable. Yeah. But uh, I think they think they've really stepped it up in like the last year or so, maybe the last two years. Sure. And uh, this has become a a crowd pleasing favorite <laughs> of mine. This this Anagrin. Uh, Hans Toberfest Lager. Yes, it's quite nice. So good, so crushable. With the blue and white checker. Yeah, got the nice uh, Bavaria flag style pattern on there. Ooh, it's great! Yeah. I'm I'm enjoying the heck out of this. Yeah, it's a great can art. Great beer inside. Great beer inside. Nice uh, 16 ounce cans, which oh yes, as we all know, my preferred format. Should be the only format to be Heck, honest. I agree. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Be, I'll be honest. I wouldn't be mad if they started doing the Abe Lincolns of these. Yeah, we could definitely use an Abe. I'm not going to get mad at Abe Lincoln Oktoberfest beer or, or uh, Meritsons and stuff in, in that Abe Lincoln 19.2. I'll be a fan. You know what? Abe Lincoln is now the new preferred style. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not making them in Abe Lincoln cans, well, we'll probably still drink them, but we'll be slightly <laughs> miffed we're, we're when a little we open sad about it. But yeah. no. Okay. <laughs> All right. I got one more news story. For the day, one more. Just this just happened, or was just announced earlier in the day. Hulu, the streaming platform that we don't talk about very often. True, because <laughs> I don't think either either of us have watched any of the shows on it. Uh, no. Uh, they their their Ghostwriter project is now dead. Oh man. Yeah, the planned series that would have seen uh, the Robbie Reyes version of the Spirit of Vengeance stream across the internet has reached, quote, a creative impasse which could not be resolved, end quote. That's dumb. Yeah. (laughs) No word yet if the series might simply move to Disney Plus or be shopped to other networks or streaming services. I guess you could see that. So not a a lot of details on this story yet, but it seems like uh, like the folks at Marvel, the folks at at, at Hulu, uh, were not on the same page, Um, which... Is a bit surprising because it does seem like Marvel and Hulu have a good relationship because yeah. uh, Runaways is doing very well for that for that service and oh, um, right. the Cloak and Dagger Cloak series and Dagger, did well yeah. as well and I think they're actually going to be doing a crossover soon oh, on those two shows so it seems like Marvel and Disney, Marvel Disney and Hulu have a, have a solid relationship hmm. um, I don't know my, my my suspicion is that maybe they couldn't agree on the tone of the show uh, I mean that makes sense you know Ghost Rider Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider needs a certain sense of darkness maybe mm-hmm. maybe one of the parties involved wanted it to be lighter than, they, than the, the other party did I don't know somebody I mean, probably they, mentioned Nick Cage and oh <laughs> my, my thought was like you know they were thinking you know Ghost Rider slapstick comedy yeah. just Pratt Falls bananas in the tailpipe you know, all the classic bits. <laughs> that was my ghostwriter that I was really waiting to see was was, was just him, uh, you know, stepping in a, in a oil slick and sliding 20 <laughs> yards into the bad guys like a bowling ball. I mean, I don't know if it can be worse than a, you know, image of a ghostwriter pissing in fire. So... <laughs> With his ghost penis. Yes. Yeah, which... I, yeah, I don't know how that works either. I mean, he's basically a flaming skeleton. So... So why does he have junk? Yeah. All of his skin should have been burned off. I don't get it. Nick Cage, what did you do? I didn't even watch that one. I didn't even watch it. 
the the first Ghost Rider was enough of an abomination that I just and and not the abomination from the Hulk movie, just no. not a good flick, <laughs> not a good flick at all. That was oh man, that second one. You should almost watch it just for a it's so bad it's funny kind of thing. <laughs> Not even that so bad is good. It's just it's it's hilariously bad. We we will get to reviewing the the not great Marvel films on okay. the, on this show. Don't worry, that okay. will happen. That is that is in the works. All right, yeah, we we got to review that one because it's a uh, it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Roger, we 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 somehow. Crushed the news today. I thought we were going to be here. For long. I have like pages of stuff here. Yeah, and we crushed all of it. That's amazing. I think because it was like my opening monologue was so damn long. <laughs> like by the time I actually got through that, there was like two pages done. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We we got through the good stuff. I think we hit the main points this we week. We did. Hey, popheads. Uh, just interrupting the show real quick to bring some breaking news that happened as shortly after we recorded the show and as I was editing it. Uh, io9 via the hollywood reporter announced that kevin feige the architect and mastermind behind the marvel cinematic universe would be producing and developing a star wars movie that's pretty fucking rad right uh we don't know if it's gonna be connected to the the films that have been announced previously whether it's the the ryan johnson trilogy or the benioff and weiss star wars films that are in the in the works but it looks like the architect of marvel the most successful film franchise of the last 10 years is going to be heading up a Star Wars picture. And I can't tell you how excited I am for that. I can't speak for Roger, but I'm going to. And I'm going to speak for the rest of the world when I say that uh, I think we're all pretty fucking excited by this news. And I hope this means excellent things for Star Wars down the road. I think Roger and I will dive into this more next week. uh, But I want to make sure that I share this breaking news with you guys. You're, uh... Clay. Bill, Clay. But, now I'm going to put you on the spot here. All right. I apologize, and if if you want to freak out and run out of the room, I understand. I won't mess up like the dinosaur noise. (laughs) This is the inaugural Hans Toberfest episode of the show. All right. Can you tell me your favorite Hans Gruber moment? No. Oh, <laughs> disappointed. Wait, why not? Are, are you not a Die Hard fan? Have you seen Die Hard? No, do, I'm Do I'm, you know what we're talking about even? I do like I have to hard. take back your, uh, your Gruber hosen? <laughs> I just put them on. <laughs> Shit. Now, I mean, honestly, I, I don't think I've watched Die Hard from start to end. Oh my God! Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those blasphemy things. And I am my I, girlfriend's going to kill me because she loves. Yeah, Die Hard. people listening to the show, I am. I I apologize <laughs> from the bottom of my heart. I did I did not know these words were coming. <laughs> oh my God! My, my heart like skipped a couple beats when you said that. I was just like. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's definitely one I got to go back and watch from start to finish. I'll, I'll let you borrow the DVD. That, that might be a good idea. My <laughs> girlfriend would thank you. She, she, that's like one of her favorite movies of all time. And yet I'm like, nope, I just haven't sat down and watched it. Oh, Roger. I mean, I, I've seen bits and pieces, but, you know, no more than what was on cable television in the 90s. To, oh, God. Yeah, how could you avoid it? I feel like it's on TV every weekend. Yeah. Uh, well, well to, quote, to quote the great Kevin Sorbo, <laughs> disappointed! <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think we'll have to close that with, with me <laughs> talking about one of my, my favorite Hans Gruber moments. Now, this, this does mean that... Uh, when we come back next week, it's still Hans Toberfest because, yes. you know, it's a big, it's a two-week party, baby. It's true. We celebrate Hans for a while. <laughs> Fun don't stop. So that means, at the very least, you got to watch some YouTube clips. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I'll come back with more Hans knowledge. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out the show uh, with, with one of my favorite Hans Gruber's, and that was, is his, and I'll play the sound clip with it, with, with, to go along with it after I butcher it here, but... The scene where he's trying to find the detonators on the roof, and John McClane finds him. But since they've never seen each other face to face, Gruber whips out his greatest American accent impression. <laughs> and when asked his name, he says, Clay. <laughs> Bill Clay. Thank you. That's pretty good. Thank you. I nailed it. Yeah, I, I nailed so. it. I haven't seen it, and I know it's real. Woo!
<laughs> it's not going to get better than that, folks. I mean, maybe maybe next week when I when I start, uh, I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll call the FBI and, and, and give them my terrorist demands, <laughs> Hans Gruber style. Maybe that's the only way to top that one. Possibly. I'd be careful with that one. <laughs> well, not the real FBI. I'll, I'll get like I'll, I'll I'll get you on the phone or something and just, just record it. Yeah, or Mike. I'm sure he'd be down for prank calls. Mm, Mike might actually call Homeland on me. <laughs> Let's be honest. Oh boy. Okay, so Hans Superfest. This is just just the beginning of Hans Superfest. Yes. You're just, you're just dipping your toes in the water. I'll have more for next week. <laughs> So oh, so it, yeah. So I mean, if you if you've enjoyed this show as much as we have this past week, um, please take the time and write us a five star review. Small podcasts like this uh, need all the help they can get, and we would love to hear it. And and I'll I'll, I'll even read the damn thing on the show. So write a good one, and uh, yeah. we'll get we we'll get you some airtime. Yeah, I'll use my movie voice. We'll read them out. And if I do read on the air, and you don't want your name read, just you know, let me know that too. Okay, <laughs> keep it kind of anonymous. There you go. <laughs> But uh, the, those reviews go a long way to letting people know that we're doing a good job, and, and we truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, again, you can follow the show at TomCast underscore podcast on Twitter and at the TomCast underscore podcast on Instagram. Thank you guys for listening. Hans Toberfest will continue next week. Bye. Ciao, babes. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> we're not going to be fucking sucked this year. We're the Stanley Cup champions!